was invited to uh, go and sing at uh, this church in a place called Calcutta, India. And uh, so she, she was going to go, but she didn't want to go without me. So well, I kind of tagged along. And then they invited me to speak at the church that she was going at. So I was like, right, wonderful. So we went to, this, uh, we went to Calcutta, India. And it was, a, it was a crazy journey there. And it was a crazy journey back. And it would probably take like 40 minutes to tell you the craziness of the journey. But while we were there, it was just like the most awesome experience I've ever had in my life. But it was also one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had in my life as well. You see, when we got to, to, to India, uh, we, 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 we thought we'd be staying in a hotel or something, and, and they didn't have a hotel for us. Instead, they had a whole house that was dedicated just for us. And so we went into this house, and uh, there was a kitchen, there was a living room, there was a dining room, there was bathrooms, there was bedrooms, and it was, it was wonderful. I mean, you're thinking you go to India, you think you're going to be like in a shack or something. And, uh, but this was, this was great. It was a wonderful place. And as we got there... We, uh, as we got on the airport, uh, we got off the plane on the airport, we got into this car and we were introduced to our driver for the week. And they said, this guy is at your service. Wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, he will take you. All you need to do is just call him and he will be outside your apartment uh, or outside the house in five minutes. And he was there and for the whole week, we had our own chauffeur for the whole week. I mean, it was pretty awesome. Then, when we got to this house, we were introduced to a guy, and they said, this is your butler for the week. I'm like, butler? I'm like, I know from England, but that's just like crazy, a butler. And so, they said, this is your butler for the week. Basically, if you need anything, if you need any supplies, if you need any food, if you need any toiletries, if you need anything, he can go to the store and get it for you. If you need anything cleaned up, if you need your bathroom cleaned or anything, he will do it for you. He is at your service. And I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty crazy. I'm like, wow. Then, the next morning we woke up and we were introduced to the smallest guy you've ever seen in your life. He was like this big. His name was Luxman. And we were introduced to Luxman and they said, he is your cook for the week. And they said, he will provide all your meals for this week. And anything that you want, if you want a snack, if you want a sandwich, he will make it for you. He'll make you breakfast any, every morning, and uh, he'll do whatever you want. Just ask him to make anything. And like the one day we asked him to make pancakes, and it still tastes like curry and stuff. But anyway, I mean, that, that was beside the point. But Luxman was just like the most awesome guy ever. And these guys were at our service all week long. And so I kind of started to ask some questions. I was like, so did they volunteer for the week? They were like, no. This is their job. They're servants. They serve us. They serve the church. They serve people in the church. And that is their job. The guy, he just drives people around every week, all day, every week. The other guy, he is, a, uh, he is the butler for, for any guests that they have in town every single week. And then that luxman, the cook, he was the guy he cooked for the guests Every single week. Anybody who came into town, they were their servants. And suddenly I started looking at, at this. And I started thinking, wow. Actually, I think we have a, a picture of our butler. I can't remember the butler's name. But we got a picture of but, but, the butler. Butler's on the left. And then Luxman is on the, on the right. And uh, would, you would not believe that the butler is about the same height as Raquel. So you can tell how small that Luxman was. I mean, it's amazing. Raquel was like a giant. 
And actually, we've got a picture. We've got this one picture, but I, I, won't, I won't kind of show it because I don't think Raquel really likes the picture much. And, uh, but she's got a picture. We're in this elevator, and there's this one guy. And all he does all day, he pushes buttons in the elevator. He takes, takes people up and down in an elevator. And Raquel stood next to him, and he came up to here on Raquel. I mean, these were like small people. They were like crazy. But these guys were just servants, and I just couldn't believe it. And it started making me think, and as I I was in India, I started realizing that there is a huge difference between a servant and a volunteer. And for years I had volunteered in in my local church. When I grew up in the church that I grew up in, I had volunteered. I had had done the kids thing, I had helped out in kids church. I had done the youth thing and led the youth and helped out with the youth. I had done the greeter thing and, and, and greeted people at the door. I'd been a usher. I'd handed out communion and the offering. And, uh, and, and I'd helped out at VBS. And, uh, and I'd even helped out at like, local outreaches that we did and community outreaches. And, and I really thought growing up that I was a pretty awesome volunteer. I mean, I was always there. I was there at all the services. And, and I was a great volunteer. But when I went to India... For the first time, I realized there was a huge difference to what I had done as a volunteer to what these guys were doing as servants. And I started realizing that a servant works within their, um, sorry, a volunteer works within their own free time. But a servant is one that is at the call of the master. I realized that a volunteer can choose to, to take a break whenever they want. They can take a few weeks off whenever they want. But a servant doesn't have that luxury. A servant works through even when they're tired. I realized that as a volunteer, I'd really done all these things basically to make myself feel happy and myself feel good. But a servant works to help please the master. I realized that uh, volunteers, they come and they go, but servants stay. I realized that volunteers are committed. And as a volunteer growing up in my local church, I was a committed volunteer. But I realized that servants aren't just committed. Servants take ownership of what they are doing. And and as, as I thought about these things, I realized that I had been a good volunteer. And I thought to myself that a church can't run without volunteers. And we have wonderful volunteers here at Generation Church. We have people who go over and beyond uh, what, what needs to be done. And a church can't function without volunteers. And I thought to myself, well, I've been a good Christian because I've helped the church run because I've been a good volunteer. But then I started looking at these guys in India. And there's something that was the disconnect with my life. And so I started studying the Bible. And I started studying the Bible because I was looking for affirmation of my good works as a volunteer. And guess what I found? I found that there were no volunteers in the Bible. There were no volunteers in the Bible. The only thing I could find were people called servants and people called masters. And then I realized that the greatest master of all said something that just totally rocked my world. And this is what he said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. And when I mean the greatest master of all, I mean Jesus Christ. And this is what he said, For even the Son of Man, or even Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve others. 
He came not to be served, but to serve others. And then, on top of that, not just being a servant to others, but then he also came to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, when I started reading this and started understanding this, it kind of rocked my world. Because he was the greatest master of all. He was Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I, I the one who could be served, now he says, I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve others. You know, there's an account in the Bible where Jesus, he knows he's about to be arrested. Jesus was God, man, uh, God in, 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 in human flesh. And Jesus knew the end from the beginning. He knew the things that would happen in his life. And what Jesus did, Jesus knew that he was going to be arrested. And he knew that this arrest was going to ultimately result in his death. And so Jesus and his disciples, they hide out this room on a second story of a building. And they went and they started and they went to have supper. And we often know that as the, the Last Supper. And that's the place where the Jesus broke the bread and they drank the wine. And that's where we get our communion from, that we take. Well, Jesus knew that this was his last time. He knew what was going about to happen. And so he had one last time or one last moment to teach his disciples a lesson. To teach his disciples his last lesson. And if you can think of one thing that God, in the form of man, would say to his people before he dies. I mean, imagine what, what, what you would say if you were God and you were about to leave and you were about to die and leave this earth and you were going to tell your disciples something. What would you say to them? You'd probably give them encouragement. Say, keep going, keep going, keep persisting. Or you'd give them a word of faith and, and, and say, this is what you can do with faith. Maybe he would give them a prophecy or something of what would happen in the future. Maybe he would just perform a one last miracle for like old time's sake or something. Maybe he would give them a commandment or he would empower them to go and take over the world. However, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus let this moment become one of his most powerful teachings without even speaking. Jesus took an action. And it was at this action that I believe that the disciples were totally stunned. Let's take a look at and this account, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. So Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be arrested and he was probably going to be sentenced to death. It said, Jesus had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. So they had a very special relationship, Jesus and his disciples. And it was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and he would return to God. So Jesus is in full knowledge of knowing exactly what is about to happen to him. Then it says this in verse 4. So knowing that, that this is Jesus' very last lesson that he's ever going to teach his disciples, he does this. So Jesus got up from the table. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. 
drying them with a towel he had around them. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm, telling, what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter responded, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And then this is the application of what, of what Jesus is now about to, uh, to say about washing their feet. He said, after washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? So Jesus asked him, do you understand when I was washing your feet, do you understand what I was doing? He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right. Because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now you know these things. God will bless you for doing them. So just imagine this for a moment. Jesus is getting down and he's washing people's feet. Now, if I can think of anything more disgusting in the world, I mean, it's that. I don't know about you, but I don't like feet too much. I mean, I don't mind my own feet. I can take my wife's feet, but like your guys' feet, sorry. You know, when I was a youth pastor, we used to play all these games with the youth. And one of the games that we, what I came up with one day was a toe wall. And so what they, people would do, they would take off, off their feet and they would lie down and, they, and uh, one person would lie this way and the other would lie this way. And we'd get the, the toes. Instead of like an arm wrestle, they would like do a, a, a toe thing, like try to wrestle with their toes. Well, we had this one guy and his name was Aid and he was really cool and, and everything. And, uh, and his, his like, uh, sister was like an, uh, a popular R&B singer in the UK. So he had all the girls after him and everything. And he was this uh, real cool guy. And then one of my friends, Rick, and they got down and they were like some of our leaders. So I wanted them to show the youth how to do it. Well, Rick takes off his shoes and, uh, and, and, and he's ready. And then Aid, this real cool guy, takes off his shoes and everybody goes, I mean, he had like the longest nails ever. Like they were yellow and disgusting. And after that, I'm like, there is no way I'm ever going to wash someone's feet again. I mean, after seeing that, that is just disgusting. And I mean, we've lived in for a long time for it. So I don't like feet. So long story short, I don't like feet. So why did Jesus wash people's feet? I mean, what, what is that all about? Well, I mean, let's, let's make this a little bit more cultural because in this today's uh, society, we don't wash each other's feet. Back in those days, they didn't, people, when they went out, they didn't wear shoes like we do. They didn't wear Nikes or Skechers or Nine West or whatever you wear, I don't know. And, uh, and, but they wore sandals. And the roads that they walked on, they were nice uh, 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 concrete uh, side paths like we walk on. They were just dusty old roads. So when they would walk, their feet would get dirty. 
Now let me ask you, have any of you ever gone to like New York City in the summer and you've walked around New York City all day in your sandals? Well, don't do it. If you go to New York City, put some sneakers on or something. Because when you go home, your feet will be filthy and disgusting. Because I don't know what, it's just dirty that city is. I mean, it's great. but And your feet are filthy and they need washing. And this is just how the disciples were. When, when they walked anywhere, they would have these dirty feet. And so what would happen as an act of honor, an act of respect and cleanliness to the homeowner, if you walked into someone else's home, you would wash your feet before you walked into their home. So that you wouldn't trample dirt into their feet. There isn't anything special about this. There was just that, it was just something that they did every day. It's like, it's like you and me, if we go into each other's homes, sometimes you may ask, shall I take my shoes off? So you don't trample dirt on someone's nice white carpets, right? This is exactly the same. So people would wash their feet before they would walk into a house. But if a guest of honor came, or somebody who was important came into your home, you would not let them wash their own feet. You would bring your servants out, people who were lower than you, and you would ask them or you would get them to come and wash their feet for them. And so if you wash someone else's feet, you were a servant. In fact, you were probably some of the lowest people in that society. And now just imagine Jesus, the teacher, the Lord, the Master, the Messiah. These disciples know who Jesus is. He gets down and he washes their feet. There's a phrase often used in Christian circles, and this is the phrase, and it's called the servant king. And they refer to Jesus as Jesus being the servant king. The reason he was a king, because he is king of heaven. He is king of the earth. He is king of our lives. He is king of all things. He will be one day with the returning king that will come to this earth and take authority over this earth. He is the king. But he says, I have come not to be served, but to serve. He is the servant king. And we see from this account in Scripture that out of all the things that Jesus could have said to His disciples, in His very last lesson, He says to them, you must become a servant. There's a few things I noticed just about this. In, uh, in John chapter 13, we see in, in, thir- in John 13, 4 and 5, it says, Jesus just got up. Jesus just got up and washed people's feet. Jesus didn't wait for the perfect time. He didn't wait till the sun started shining. He didn't wait till everything was great. Jesus just did it straight away. He didn't wait for the perfect time. We also see in, in, in the same uh, uh, verses, in verses 4 and 5, it, say, it says there that Jesus took off his robe and then he wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus didn't just do an act of a servant. He didn't just pretend to become a servant. Jesus took on the position of a servant. He became an actual servant. We see in John uh, 13, uh, verse 5, Jesus didn't just do half the job. Jesus did the full job. Notice the Bible says in, verse, uh, in, in John 13, verse 5, it says, Jesus washed the disciples' feet and then he dried their feet as well. And I'm as guilty as this as anybody. But I know as a volunteer, oftentimes when I do things, I do half a job. Or I'll do like the minimum what, what amount that's required. But Jesus didn't. Jesus did the full job. 
that Jesus in, in, uh, verse, uh, in chapter 13 and verse 15, uh, it says there, it says, Jesus says, I have done this as an example to you. Jesus washed their feet as an example. An example is something that illustrates a point. This means that Jesus wasn't actually saying, okay, now, now you're going to be Christians. Now you're going to be Christ followers. Now you're going to set up a church and this is what I want you to do. I want you to be people who wash feet. Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus wasn't saying that we have to go around and wash each other's feet. What Jesus was saying, he was using this example to illustrate a principle. And the principle was this, that you must humble yourself down and you must become a servant. And then the last thing I I just see in this little uh, section of Scripture In John chapter 13 and verse 17, it says there, Jesus says, I will bless you for doing these things. I will bless you for doing these things. The word here, bless, doesn't mean uh, the same kind of what we think. When we think blessed, we think of big houses, big cars, well-behaved children, you know, nice neighbors. We think of all that sort of stuff. But the word here, blessed, can be more translated into fulfilled or satisfied, or ultimately happy. So let's read this again. It says that It says, now you will know these things, and God will fulfill you, or will satisfy you, if you do these things. God will satisfy you if you do these things. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be fulfilled in life? Do you want to be ultimately happy in life? Jesus is saying, if you want to do that, then you must become a servant. I honestly believe that this is one of the greatest lessons that Jesus ever taught. I mean, just imagine the shock on the disciples' faces. He was the greatest rabbi to ever live. The one who they believed was, was the Messiah. This was the one that the Scriptures said would rule the nations. This is the one who would perform miracles and done totally on human things. Things that a human could not do. And now in his last hour, Jesus is kneeling down before his disciples. And he is doing the most human thing you can think of. And that's washing somebody else's feet. I think the problem for us when we read this story, it kind of doesn't make sense. And the problem is, is that we dwell in a world that has very different rules to the world that the Bible says that we belong to. The Bible says that we are in this world, meaning earth, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We don't belong to this world. In fact, the Bible tells us that we belong to a different world and that world is called the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, Jesus says that heaven is our home. Not earth is our home. Not your nice town home that you have or your nice single family dwelling in your apartment. That isn't your home. The Bible says that heaven is your home. And so if that's the case, The Bible tells us that we are on a journey in this world. In fact, there's some translations that says that we are something called sojourners. And a sojourner is someone who is just passing through. 
And for each and every one of us this morning, each and every one of us, we are sojourners in this world. We are just passing through this world to the world where we belong, and that is the kingdom of heaven. You see, so often Jesus' principles can seem upside down. However, the kingdom of heaven is totally different to the kingdom of this earth. The kingdom of heaven has different rules. See, in the kingdom of earth, we are told that we must elevate ourselves to become great. We are told that we must get the best education to make anything of ourselves. We are told that we must have the best homes. We must have the best cars. We must have the most friends or the most friends on Facebook. We must have the most followers on Twitter. We're told that we must be the smartest and we must be the brightest. We must be ahead of the game. But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is very different. And this morning I want to show you exactly what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It may seem upside down to us, but these are the rules of the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, As uh, one day as the crowds were gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and then Jesus began to teach them. Jesus says, God blesses those who are poor. Let's rephrase that. Because so often our word blesses can mean like, like lots of like material things. Let's rephrase it as God fulfills or God satisfies those who are poor and realize their need for Him. Not just the poor. He doesn't just satisfy poor people here. He satisfies people who are poor and they realize their need for God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So they, here we got poor people. God will satisfy poor people because one day they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, God fulfills or God satisfies those who mourn for they will be comforted. You know, when we lose someone and we mourn, there's, there's an emptiness within us. There's a hole within us. God will fulfill that hole within you when you mourn. God fulfills or God satisfies those who are humble. For they will inherit the whole earth. The Bible says that pride comes before a fall. But yet the humble will inherit this earth. The humble will gain this earth. It says, God fulfills or God satisfies those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or another translation says, those who hunger or thirst after justice. Or trying to be right with God. For they will be satisfied. It says, God fulfills those who are merciful, for they will, will be shown mercy. God fulfills those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God fulfills those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God fulfills those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, I, list, I look at that list of the people that God fulfills and satisfies and bless and make ultimately happy. And we look at the rules of this world and we think there is no way that those people can be fulfilled. But in the kingdom of heaven, those people are fulfilled in life. 
And the problem, I think, for so many of us is that we can't see the kingdom of heaven or we can't see heaven. And so all we see is this world around us. And so we start to live by the rules of this world. But the problem is, if we live by the rules of this world, then the end is death. The end is brokenness. The end is that we'll just burn ourselves out trying. But if we follow the rules of heaven, the end results in life, in vitality, in strength, in joy, in hope, and in peace. If you want to experience all that God has promised, if you want to be ultimately fulfilled and satisfied in this life, then you must become a servant. For each of you, that may mean different things. I'm not just talking about a volunteer here. I learned this lesson a few years ago. God doesn't want me to volunteer. God wants me to serve. And that means to serve Him and serve others. For some of you, it might mean serving the poor. And we have people in our congregation who serve the poor. We have people who go feed the homeless. And it's great. That is wonderful. For others, it may be going and serving in the kids' area and helping the kids out. And we have wonderful servants over there in the kids' area. For others, it may be serving God with your gifts and your talents, the things that God has given you, serving others. Others, it may mean just serving God with your time. And taking your time and being a servant unto God. You know, this year at Generation Church, I'm declaring that this year is going to be a year of service. Where we are going to serve our community and we're going to serve each other. And we're ultimately going to serve God like never before. As a church, we, not, we don't need to just volunteer. But we need to become servants of the King as He became a servant for us. This means that we have to go all in and give all we have to the one who loves us and the one who died for us. And his name is Jesus Christ. To help you do that this year, we're going to do some practical things. And we're going to do a lot of different outreaches and different things that, you know, uh, 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 may take a couple of hours a month or something. But we're going to ask you to serve the king. And there's a chart I'm going to put up, and we're going to split up this year into four different quarters with all our outreach and our service efforts. And you can see up there, in January, in, in, from January to March in quarter one, we're going to do something called pay it forward. And what we mean by pay it forward is what, is God, what God has given to you, you pay it forward to other people. Maybe God's given you finances. Help pay it forward with others. May God, maybe God's giving you time. Give that time forward. Pay it forward. May God, God has given you gifts and talents and, and different things. Pay that forward to somebody else. From uh, April to uh, June, we're going to be serving others first. Serving others first. And so through that time, the service efforts and the things that we're going to be doing as a church, we're going to be looking at others first. We're not going to be looking internally at ourselves first. But for that time, we're going to look at others first. And we'll be involved in things like Serve Fest, which is a thing where all the churches get together and help out. And then from July to September, we're going to be doing something called helping people not like us. Helping people not like us. It's real easy to serve people like us. It's really easy to serve our friends and our families. But what happens when you serve that homeless person? What happens when you serve that drug addict? 
or that person who is failing at school, or that person who is not popular, or that person who nobody else wants to associate themselves with. People not like you. And then in quarter four, from October to December, the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be spreading the joy. We kind of did a little bit of that this last, year, this last December, and I got really satisfied from it. I mean, it felt really good to give onto these kids that we did and the families that we did, but we're going to be spreading the joy. And I'm going to ask you this year, as we move forward, I believe God has got great things for us, and God has got great things for you, each of every one of us individually. And I believe that those great things are just around the corner. It's almost like we've got to go through the door, and there they are. But it takes an attitude of serving to do it. And I'm going to ask, will you be willing to be a servant for the king? A servant for God? Will you be willing to wash feet for him? Wash dirty, dusty feet for him? Christ said here in, in, uh, in uh, John chapter 13, he says, As I have done, so you do also. And when you do this, he has promised that he will bless you, he will satisfy you, he will fulfill you, he will make you ultimately happy for all the things that you do. My question to you today, will you serve?